Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Curious City producer Stephen Jackson. It's been quite a week, uh, and as you all know, a big part of our mission is listening to you, taking your questions and getting you some answers. But the other part is just being transparent about how journalists do their work. And with that in mind, we thought we'd share what it's been like for some of WBEZ's journalists this week who've been out in Chicago trying to make sense of what's happening in this historic moment. So here we go. My name is Natalie Moore, and I'm on the race class communities desk at BEZ. This week is draining, but it's important to tell the stories that are going on, whether it's COVID-19 or if it's about all the unrest that we're seeing. It's nonstop, particularly for a Black reporter, it's grueling, but the work is necessary. On Monday morning, I went to South Shore, a neighborhood on the South Side, and there was an activist, a young Black activist who was having a press conference to say, no more looting, let's find ways to rebuild our community. We want our community to thrive. We do. We do. What's next? What can we do? It should, we shouldn't have to destroy anything to be heard. Why we got to be destructive to be heard? I got there and there were a lot of police. There was a large gathering of people and it, it felt almost like a showdown. Young people yelling at the police. There was also a lot of talk about these businesses here are not owned by Black folks. They come into our community and extract. Several years ago, there was a shooting of a young unarmed Black man two blocks away. So they were saying his name. That man murdered my son. He shot my son in his back. And I still haven't got justice. And then there were other mothers and sisters talking about their loved ones who had died at the hands of police. As long as they get away with it, they're going to keep killing us. I deal with it every single day. I got to wake up and my sister's not here. The activists thought that one of the guys who was out there was an agitator. He had never seen him before. He also was black, but he just kept interrupting. I don't know if it's true. I mean, anybody can, you know, it's a public space. But I think there's a heightened sense of who, who is out there, who is here, who is with us, who is not. That's some police stuff, man, trying to get us hyped, send us off. That's Cointeo Pro type stuff, bro. Don't never know this man, never seen this man. And then it, it, it got thicker with people and the police just cut off 71st Street. 
It was tense. I mean, these are young black people who don't look middle class, who don't look so-called presentable, you know, with their tattoos or cigarettes dangling, you know, probably underemployed. Um, There's certain respectability politics around what blackness should look like. So you just have to do your best to bring nuance to stories because it could have been easy to say a bunch of young black 20-somethings you know, yelled at police and people are destroying their neighborhood. Like there, there are certain things that are just easier for people to maybe digest than to start looking at the systemic issues that are there around policing or economic development. So there's just, there's a lot to, to process all the time and it's not going to stop anytime soon. We let our demands be known. We want a new FOP contract. We want justice for Nunu. We want justice for all these families. We want federal charges on Jason Van Dyke. We want the consent decree agreements, these deadlines that Chicago Police Department been missing. Hey, I'm WBEC reporter Monica Eng, and so far this week has been, um, God, what has it been? On Saturday, my daughter had begged and pleaded to be able to go to the protest downtown with some of her friends. As a public health reporter, I was not comfortable with her being in a large crowd. And so I said, okay, you can go, but I have to watch to make sure you have an N95 mask on at all times and you are not getting closer than six feet to people. That turned out not to be possible, but at least she had the mask on and and tried to keep her distance. I've covered, you know, peace rallies, women's rallies, you know, a lot of the Laquan protests, but it it was very different. What struck me when we got down there was, you know, there's tons of people pouring into the loop and immediately, you know, hanging outside of their cars and saying, hey, do you want some free masks? Do you need water? Do you have everything you need? Uh, I've got a squirt of hand sanitizer if you want. And just the amount of young people, young people with this positive energy, optimism and that feeling of um, hope in in a city that I've been covering for three decades was pretty astonishing. For a moment in that crowd is all these people of all these different races and ages from all parts of the city converged together with, with one voice. I thought maybe, maybe we're not gonna be this, this permanently divided and segregated city. Maybe with these young people, maybe there's hope that they can create the kind of solidarity and empathy that's been missing here to really change things. We left around four o'clock. My daughter was just telling me that she'd never felt so inspired and hopeful. But then by the time we watched the news that night, Now, protests, which started out peaceful, turned into riots by early evening. Cars smashed in, fires in the middle of the streets, and buildings looted. All the windows had been broken out, and everything inside was gone. Rioters set cars on fire throughout downtown. They overturned squad cars, set squad cars. The focus was on looting and destruction. I'd wondered, you know, did we just imagine all of that that positivity and what that protest seemed to be about. 
Then the next day, I was assigned to talk to folks after a rally in Evanston. And that's when I talked to young people who were describing the same type of thing that I saw the day before. It was nice and peaceful the way we wanted it to go. It's very moving and it, it felt really nice. I also didn't see as many police here as I did yesterday in Chicago or like compa in comparison to a lot of places. So it was very peaceful on both sides. Today. So I immediately said, wait a minute, you were in Chicago too? You've seen the coverage. How does that square with the rally you saw? Yeah. Got everything together, parked our car. Um, and they said that, that basically they, they felt such goodness and positivity and they felt so protected in that rally. I did not feel threatened by a single protester yeah. while I was it, there. The, the only threat I felt was from the police. Mm -hmm. And yet the rally that a lot of people saw in the media, and hey, I'm part of the media, didn't really reflect that. It's frustrating when you were there and you exactly. were in it and you were you saw the beauty of it. Instead, yeah. of, instead of just focusing on the mass media that's being produced, I asked that everyone ask their friends that were at the protest to show them videos of what it looks like, to show them what it, the reality of it was. I took videos of the entire thing. I don't know if you want, like, I took so okay. Too. Well, As someone who, you know, has been covering news for three decades, I know you cover the thing that will, you know, make people stand up and notice. And fires and looting are that thing. So I get that. But I, I also think that it can end up giving a distorted view of um, kind of what the majority of the people who were at that event experienced. And I just, I just don't want that to get lost. We ain't gonna stop till our people are free. I can hear my mama saying she can't breathe. Stuck up in the struggle saying she can't breathe. I'm Chip Mitchell. I report about criminal justice for WBEZ. And this week has been eye-opening. So it was Saturday night. After the protests, we were hearing a lot of police scanner traffic about looting on the south side. But the mayor didn't really address it at her press conference the next morning. So I headed to the south side to see what was going on there. I started in back of the yards on 47th and Ashland. Over several hours, I worked my way generally south, you know, through West Englewood all the way down to Auburn Gresham. So a few miles I was on and around South Ashland Avenue for more than six hours. I didn't see a single other reporter in any medium. I don't know what I was expecting. I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I had no idea the scale of the looting that I was going to see. Pretty quickly, just south of 47th, I saw uh, groups of young people, it looked kind of disorganized, breaking into jewelry and pawn shops, one after the other. Um, and they'd come out with arms full of necklaces, um, heaving away big TVs, uh, trying to jam them into a car that was not big enough for it and taking a lot of time. No police around. In fact, I saw a police SUV drive right by as if he hadn't noticed what was going on. I saw one scene after another, cell phone shops, pharmacies, liquor stores, looting that was involving a lot of people. Finally made it to a stretch um, around 76th and Ashland. A couple big grocery stores, biggest grocery stores in the neighborhood. One's an Aldi's, the other's a Walmart. Men and women of all ages grabbing a shopping cart, going in there, coming out with the cart full, packed, unloading the cart into their car and going back for more. Hundreds of people, mothers and fathers, taking advantage of the situation, yes, but also getting a lot of stuff that maybe they don't have a, a chance 
in normal times, if we can call it normal, um, to fill up a cart at Walmart. And they were going to do it this time. And, and I would see a mother with a cart full of food and household essentials. You know, she wasn't going for electronics, and a younger woman was helping her unload it into the back of the car. One family after another, hundreds of people involved with this. It was a sight to behold. People have been poor for a long time, so all it takes is the right situations to happen for people to, to unleash. You know, there's a young man in his early 30s. He was waiting for a bus while the buses were still running. People have been riding for thousands of years, and it's always, it's always a culmination of things. This is what people do when they are desperate. And he didn't think that it was such a bad thing. It's nothing new. When Martin Luther King died, didn't they riot? Did they riot? When he died, for, for us to do better, but still. And then next to him, as I'm talking to him, and an older woman, uh, she had pulled back great hair. She, she later told me she was 71. I've been here for a long time, but I understand it. But like I say, still tan up your town and got nothing to do with it. She was disgusted by it. She could understand the impulse to take property but she thought it was very counterproductive. At one point, at 71st in Ashland, a liquor store that had been shut tight with corrugated metal shutters, but someone had pried a piece of the shutter up and then broken the window behind it. And so there was this like three foot by three foot opening that people could duck in and, and go in. And there were, there were people for, oh, I, I, I'd been watching it for probably 10 or 15 minutes, just streaming in one after another, coming in and then come back out with their arms full of bottles and boxes of booze. A few minutes later, finally, one squad car comes arrives and an officer gets out. He's got this big canister of pepper spray, I assume. He stood at the opening of the liquor store as it's getting looted. And, and one person at a time is coming out. Each one who came out, he stood there and sprayed them with pepper spray. And it was, it was, it was a crazy scene. But it was because it was like everyone came out. They took their turns coming out. They got sprayed, and then they, they, you know, were trying to wipe their eyes. It was almost like they were taking what was coming to them. That, that's what it seemed like. Then his partner gets out, and those two officers stood guard and in front of that liquor store, and the looting stopped. After about ten minutes, they left, and the looting started right back up again at that same liquor store, and went on and on and on. Even as the owner's brother came, to, it was there standing and watching it. There was nothing he could do. The next morning... We need all people. Mayor Lightfoot is at a press conference. She attributed the neighborhood looting to, quote... A criminal element. And David Brown, the police superintendent, he was, he was next to her. I was on the ground in the field, and I watched these looters strategically... He talked about the neighborhood looters as criminal rings that were outsmarting the police. Flank our officers and hit the target they intended. Kim Fox talked about how her office was working with federal agencies to hold outside agitators accountable. So this is what they do. They go and, and they agitate. And it was just, it was just frankly absurd. Uh, Special Prosecutions Unit is working on the task force. There are people who know that this is happening. So I, I try to make sense of this. You know, why public officials are focusing on this idea that the looting was organized by outsiders when what I saw in broad daylight for hours and hours on Sunday was just the opposite. I don't know. I'm not in their heads, but I think it's just easier to think about looting as a problem that can be solved by arresting a few people or a few dozen people rather than as 
an upheaval tied to poverty and desperation. I think it's easier to conduct criminal investigations than to come up with investment for these communities, investment on a scale that would make them less volatile and less violent, and that would also avert repeats of the unrest we've seen over this last week. We're going through too much already. Why go through this? Send the people through this. We have to ask ourselves, if thousands of people in the country are doing something, you have to have a higher amount. Why is thousands, if thousands of people are doing something in in cities and states all over, and all you can say is, why would they break in there? I would would just say we got to raise our understanding to see why is that happening. What I I realized is a lot of these... My name is Sarah Karp, and I'm a reporter with WBZ. The week has been very tiring and both heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. Heartbreaking, it's definitely been just seeing young kids, teenagers, having to declare, you know, I want to live or don't shoot or feeling the need to say, like, I... I'm a human being and my life should be protected. I mean, this is so basic and that we have kids having to say that is is heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's sad. Sunday evening I went to a protest that was happening of kids from Hyde Park. One moment that really stuck with me is that they walked onto Lakeshore Drive and then they all took a knee and raised their hand in the sign of black power. And I don't know, seeing the, the, the skyline in the distance and then seeing kids kneeling on, on Lakeshore Drive was somehow really moving and made me sort of think, like, it's just sad. It's like it's a burden that these, that these kids carry that I guess I wish they didn't have to carry. And then last night, I was in another protest where one thing that they did is they repeated eight times, um, Mama, I want to breathe. You know, I think any mother who saw or heard George Floyd, you know, begging for his mother, you can't be a human being and not not feel for that. And, you know, as, as a mother of, of three black sons, It's like you always fear every time they leave the house. And even a black husband. You know, the world is a a really dangerous place. So I have have three sons, uh, ages 22, 20, and 15. And on Sunday, they all went downtown because they wanted to participate in the protests. My son, my 20-year-old son, said to me, why aren't you coming? And I was like, well, I can't come because it's, you know, it's my job not to, not to go. It's my job to report on it, but I, I can't go and participate. And he was just like, well, what do you value more, my, your job or fighting for what's right? You know, I really feel like he was sort of challenging something that's such a fundamental thing of what we question all the time. I mean, all the time. You know, I don't know that there was a, a, a great answer to that. But 
we soldier on, I guess. The more information out there, the more voices out there, the more the truth will come out, the more the discussion will be deeper and better. So I think I just sort of say that my role is to put the microphone, you know, in places and let people's voice be amplified. That was WBEZ's Sarah Karp, Chip Mitchell, Monica Ang, and Natalie Moore. As always, Curious City is here to take your questions. If you've got a question about the ongoing protests, or the pandemic, or if you're wondering something else about this moment, or something else about our region, find us at wbez.org, or on Facebook or Twitter at WBEZ Curious City. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Stephen Jackson. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.